God, Lord, we ask in your great mercy that you would speak. And that you would speak to all of our needs and circumstances, wherever we are. And you would do it through the story you have been telling throughout all time. That even ever since the first person you created fell away from you, you have been calling us back to you. Calling us back through your love. Calling us back through your gifts. Through your blessing and through your promises. And I just pray that all of these things would be abundantly clear personally to each of us that we would sense exactly how this fits as foreign and strange as some of those verses that Helen just read for us as as different and far out as they might seem that they are speaking to us because this is a story by your invitation and grace that becomes our story so I just pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be holy and pleasing to you and in the name of Jesus I pray amen I have a conviction as a pastor that when I come to this call to serve you, Bethel, that I want to preach and teach the Bible in its entirety. I want to preach the Bible in its entirety because every last word, I believe, contains the love of God. It reveals and shouts the love of Jesus to us. Even passages like this in Joshua, which has a list of names, some of which Helen read and some of which she didn't read because I didn't want to take up all your time over the next hour reading those verses. But they all speak to us. But I also want to do that in such a way. I have that conviction. This is what the Bible's doing. But I also want to do that in such a way that any person who walked in to worship with us today would actually receive from that could understand what the story is actually about and how it relates to them. Because you don't have to go to school for a long time or have read your Bible the whole time for this to preach. That you can walk in here, hear the love of Jesus, and experience the love of God. The challenge is when you read the Bible is that it has a world of its own. It has a world of its own where it takes on different genres and different literary features. And right here, we're in narrative. It shifts to a list of names. It shifts to a world that we don't actually know all that well. But God's message stays the same, even if it's land allotments. Even if it's about land allotments, this is gospel. So my goal is for you to hear the good news about land allotments. And I will do that to the best of my ability this morning. Can I hear an Amen. <laughs> There we go. Um, It would help to know a context a little bit about where we are in the book of Joshua. Kathy preached for us about this campaign of actually chasing down a lot of people who'd come back into the land, and the day continued beyond what seemed even possible. It was conceived as the longest day. And since then, all of these kings that had come together against God's people, they've been defeated. The northern tribes... The northern cities have been conquered. The southern cities have been conquered. And now we're at this point where the whole book has been leading to, which is here is the gift of the land. So here's the gift of land. There you go. Run with it. It's easy now. That is not what these chapters tell us. These chapters tell us that just after we get to a certain point, there is a lot of work to do. And the book speeds up too. At one point, it took a whole few chapters to talk about one battle or one victory. And now it just will give us a verse. So it kind of speeds up. And we have to almost do some work of catching up to the story happening in these chapters and in this book. So I'd like to show you a map. Um, And it's a map of all the land that currently Israel occupies right now. You can see it here. And you can see all the pink here. This is all the land that they kind of have captured through all these victories they've had up to this point. But if you can see a lot of the white around the area, 
It's not all of it. And even still, you have to know that for all these areas that have been taken, people who fled have come back. And so it's a land with not very firm boundaries like we couldn't have in terms of international borders. We don't have that here. People are coming back. It's fluid, back and forth. And so even though this gift of land is present and available, there's still much work to be done. And I think one of the things I really enjoy about how this book, how this book in Joshua shifts is at this point it's been about the nation. What is the nation going to do? What is the whole people doing? What is God doing through the, this nation Israel? But now it's actually becoming much more about what specific families do. What specific individuals do. That now maybe, maybe some people have been bystanders watching everybody else do the act of faith, watching people storm through the Jordan. Now they're being asked to do it themselves. And it's a lot harder work. And what we're going to see is that many of them don't want the task. These land allotments are God's way of saying that I promised you that I would give you the land. And here it is. I'm giving it to you. But there is much more work to be done. And I think one of the things, I picture another picture I want to show you, just something I thought of, is we don't know this land. If I read all the boundaries, which Helen did not read all the boundaries to you, but you wouldn't know it. You could connect it with what was said before, uh, earlier in Joshua, about these are the boundaries of land, God's promise, God's making good with his word, that's what he's doing. But um, we're not familiar with it. It doesn't have the same kind of value for you because you don't know what ancient Israel looked like or what it meant. And the analogy for me, if I could show the picture, is of the side table. This side table has persevered in my life for nine years. This, this, is, this, is, a, this, this is a story. This, this, this table means something to me. It does not mean to you. If I signed my inheritance to you, it would mean nothing to you. But I remember the thrift store I found it in. I remember all the homes that I brought it in. I brought it into our marriage, even though you didn't really want it in our place of living at the time. And, and now I see it today. We brought it to Canada, and I see it today. And my kid's doing front flips off of it. It means something to me that it can never mean to you. And that is what this land means to the people. They know this land. They've been promised and basically been led to this land. They are familiar with it, and they kind of know the challenges and the rough spots with it. But at the same time, it is meaningful in this language when you read it to say, God is giving this land. This is the kind of gifts that not only does God give to his people in Scripture, but the kind of gifts he gives to you. That's land allotments. It's to remind people of the journey. And as Caleb was praying earlier or talking about through the offering, it's every gift comes from God. This is talking about God's gifts. So how we received God's gifts matters. And what we do with his gifts matters. One of the things that I reflected on with this section, it's chapters 13 through 19. So it's a big section of the book that I'm going to be offering reflections on, thoughts about, not trying to drag us through it, but trying to preach the gospel through it, is that they describe the everyday reality of following Jesus through land allotments. They're actually describing what it's like to follow Jesus through land allotments. Because what is given must be nurtured what is given must be preserved. At times, what is given must be protected. And at times, it must be contended. We must contend for the good in our midst. And if we do these things in faith and trust, which is a really big thing in Joshua, it's just a big thing in walking with Jesus, doing things in trust and faith. If we do these things in faith, not only do we receive God's blessing, but we bless others through it. 
The land is meant to lead people into relationship with God. So my key point, because I'm going to just offer a lot of reflections, but I like to have an umbrella key point that I come back to. This is the point that if you miss anything or you lose anything, I want you to hear this. And it's that God, that God does not want to leave anything in your life unconquered or unclaimed. That God sees all of your life, all of your life, and he sees an opportunity and is inviting you. Can you lead into life claiming all of the things that are part of yourself? Because this is what it looks like to step into healing and to receive his gift as good. It's what it looks like to surrender everything to him and find the grace and provision and blessing he has for you. God does not want to leave anything in your life unconquered or unclaimed. But then you have to ask yourself, so what has God given you? You can't even begin to ask that without asking, what has God given you? What has he provided for you? What is that inheritance for you? We have this inheritance of land here. How does that translate to your life? That's a question I would encourage you to think about as we reflect this morning. Another question is, what is holding you back from receiving the gifts that he has for you? It's easy to, it is tempting to want to go out to the world and to find things that are going to get you by. But that's not necessarily God's gifts. That's not his provision. That's not his inheritance. What is, it, what is it tempting you? What is holding you back from receiving what God has for you? What parts of your life have you not fully surrendered so they are not claimed in Jesus? Because the Israelites and the people will find don't claim everything for God. They don't claim everything for worship. And they suffer because of it. The tension here is, I'm going to read a verse from Joshua 11 that uh, Helen didn't read, but the tension here is that the land is already supposed to be in some state of rest because of all these victories that have taken place in Joshua. All these victories that have been taking place. Let me read Joshua 11:23. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. So that sounds like it's all over. But then you go chapters and chapters into this section, and automatically you find that, no, there's people still living in the land, people who don't want to leave their home, people who don't want to concede the land. And it's the scenario where God's won the war, but here's the battles that I have for you to face. God's won the war, but here's the battles I want you to face. And the analogy for this is, is something that was really emphasized last year. It might be new to you. It was actually new to me, to be honest. Have you heard of Juneteenth? Can I see any hands about Juneteenth? It's a, it's a holiday that I think is probably a bigger deal in the state, so I'm not going to, don't feel bad if you're not aware of it. But it's connected to the fact that in the history of the United States, there was the Emancipation Proclamation that took place that President Abraham Lincoln gave, and then it took two and a half years for a community of slaves to be told that they were free in Texas. Juneteenth remembers that it takes a long time for what is a reality and a victory that takes place at one time to find its ways, to find its way into a reality in others. And that's what it is. The victory has been guaranteed for this land, but the actual bringing about the victory, the actual bringing about of the rest for everyone must still be done. And so the author is bringing in this tension for us that we have to struggle with. We also have to struggle with the fact that as the people go, they're actually not really going with God or doing what God said that they would do. 
So they're about to disperse all the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. They're about to disperse. But then you have this refrain that happens. Joshua 13, 13 says this. I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names. But the Israelites do not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah. So they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. This repeats a number of different times. I'll read a few of those verses. But the people that were in the land were stay, and they weren't supposed to stay. Because the land was devoted to destruction, and God wanted to create a land just for his people. Because if there was any other influence, they would lead him astray. So... What we see in these sections, Joshua 13 and 19, I'm hoping I'm not losing you. It's a lot of information, and I'm going fast because I don't want to get stuck. Is that these allotments remind us that God's promises are enough, and that when faithfulness fades, so do his blessings. When our faithfulness fades, so do God's blessings. I want to look at some good examples of God's promises being enough in this section because it's not all grim. It's actually, there's a lot of good things God's promises are enough. And the first person you look at, it's in chapter 14, is Caleb. Caleb was one, was, was one of two people in numbers that actually went to the land and said, we can take this thing. Caleb and Joshua, way back, were two of 12 that thought, we can actually take the land. And God, by his mercy, kept them alive through 40 years of wilderness to lead the people back into the land when it was time. Caleb then gives this charge He's given this charge. He comes before Joshua saying, I am as strong as I was the first day we walked into the land. Give me whatever territory. I will take it. He knows he's 85 years young. And he he is ready to go for this moment. And he he takes it. See, Caleb in chapter 14, I'm not going to read verse by verse here, but I want you to hear this. He is an example of how this is supposed to take place. Because he believes exactly who God is. He believes exactly what he's supposed to do. He believes in God's promises. He believes in God's gift. And so he goes and he takes it for his family. Caleb is part of the tribe of Judah. So Judah is one of the 12 tribes. His family goes and takes land, even with some hesitation. They don't do it perfectly. They do take it. Another good example is Joshua himself. Joshua in chapter 19 is given a town for himself. And he takes it just as God has asked. There is this balance of God's sovereignty but human responsibility. That's something we feel a lot, where we're asked to be responsible for things, but God has gone before us in his grace to lead us and to provide for us. Those are the good promises. Those are the good examples of God's promises that they see that those, are, those promises are enough for them in the moments. And there's definitely a big emphasis, I don't want to miss this, where everyone who participated in the journey is given equally. It's God's mercy and blessing that each one receives and is given. And that, that is very important. But then you see sort of trends taking place where people start to fade in faithfulness. They make bad compromises. They complain. And one of the first tribe's examples is Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh, which is quite a lot to just say when you don't really know. That's actually the tribe of Joseph. And you should also know that Joshua is part of that tribe. But that tribe has some issues along with some of the other tribes because Caleb, as an example, faces all the opposition of some people from the hill country have come back. How do I actually step into that land? What's preventing me? And he does it anyway. He just believes God's faithful. It's going to work out. I don't need the whole nation to be back. We, We as a tribe and family can do this. But Ephraim and Manasseh don't quite feel the same way. They're intimidated by the opposition, the exact same opposition that Caleb, one man, faced. 
So then here are these examples. I just want to read them so you see them and just thinking about them because it takes place over this whole section. Example after example, all these seeds are planted of people who are already losing faith. I'm going to read them quickly. It's Joshua 15. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites. There were people living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. That's Joshua chapter 15. Joshua 16. So Manasseh and Ephraim, the descendants of Joseph, received their inheritance. In verse 10, they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim and are required to do forced labor. And another example is Joshua 17. I'm throwing a lot at you. Hang in there. Yet the Manassites, if I said that correctly, were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. They were supposed to remove them from the land. Now, what was helpful for me in preparing to preach this book is to see how the land in Canaan was becoming undone by evil. It's been undone, it came undone by all this different worship, by pagan worship, by child sacrifice. Like this land, nothing about it represented good. In fact, it represented creation coming undone. And God, in this story, is trying to redeem a pocket of creation for his people. And I look, at, I look at our world and our lives in Canada, and I realize that it is creation coming undone. <laughs> it is a world that is navigated, influenced, and even destroyed by evil. And that we go out into the world to contend for good in the midst of a world being undone. So that's why it was so important for them to remove the people from the land, except they don't. And it shows the danger of compromise, which is really just incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience, which uproots their hearts from loving devotion to God. They, they, have, they experience inertia. They kind of get stuck. I heard Caleb say that in language earlier. They get stuck, and they don't know how to act. And it's not just complaining, intimidated by, oh, we can't take those people on our own, but they're discontent. What you can see in Joshua 17, and it's, it's, it's Joshua's own people, the people of Joseph, Joseph Ephraim, and Manasseh. They, they don't think that the land they were given was enough. They think they deserve more. They don't think God's gifts are enough or good enough for them. In Joshua 17, it says, the people of Joshua said to Joshua, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. You know what Joshua's response is? You are numerous. You are powerful because God is with you. Go, take the hill country, take more land for yourself because the Lord is with you. You can clear it. They, don't, they think they deserve more and yet they don't actually step into the responsibility of taking more for what they need. It's all a setup for the next, next natural progression in the book of the Bible, which is Judges. If you read the first and second chapter of Judges, you'd realize this is, it's, it's, it's almost a little jarring how far off things swing. And a book that's cultivated and made and shaped around renewal of the word of the Lord, all of Moses' warnings, all of Joshua's leadership, and at the same time, the people after one generation go the other way, completely. They become undone because they make all these connections and compromises with the people of the land. It is a complete downfall. And it will be our downfall if we don't hold to the truth. It will be our downfall. 
We have been given a power to overcome our circumstances. The world out there can become undone and evil, and it is all through the decisive victory in Jesus. See, the incredible thing about reading scripture is it all points to Christ. Every last page points to Christ and just understanding more and more the flow of the story and you see the significance of Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension, the gift of his spirit is that that decisive victory helps us understand something like land allotments, that all these lands are going to different people and they're asked to do things with the land as families and individuals because we are families and individuals. And it is because their inheritance, what they're receiving in this section of Joshua, foreshadows an inheritance through the victory of Jesus. That when he goes to the cross, he guarantees our inheritance. Not just a specific land out there somewhere, but he guarantees what the land represents. A place for you and me in a community that is not separated from God in any way completely united in fellowship with him, and that we ourselves can experience a healing from our transgressions and from our wounds right now. That that begins right now. That doesn't just happen in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It happens now. The work of that healing takes place now. When I say what I said before, this umbrella term, that God does not want any part of your life left unconquered, that's what I mean is taking the mercy and love and good news of the gospel into every part of your life, into your family, into your workplace, and to see both the gospel and where God has you as a gift. That God has provided this as a gift for you. And now he's asking, can you follow me? Can you follow me into healing and transformative action? There's a quote I'd like to read for us that just spoke to me. If it speaks to you, may it bless you. But I wanted to share the quote. The God of the Bible tends to be concrete, his gifts tangible and physical. The inheritance he bequeaths is not an idea, but boundaries, not thoughts, but towns. In a word, real estate. And he's reflecting on these passages. We Western Christians probably need to get a hard grip on this. We need to rediscover the earthiness of God. We must realize that even enjoying the grand act of the kingdom of God will not mean floating as a beeping soul in some sort of spiritual ether, but walking around with a resurrection body and new heavens and a new earth. That God will redeem the earth outside. God will redeem the earth before you. God will redeem the community around you. And God will redeem your body, your soul, all of you. It is deeply connected to who you are now in connection with his mercy and his grace. And what the invitation is for us to focus on Jesus, to set our eyes on Jesus, and to not get stuck, and to lean into bringing change with us. And one of the ways I feel like this is connected to the New Testament, is connected to the gospel, because I believe it's really connected, is when Jesus sends out 72 followers. You know this, this is in Luke, and I want to just read a few passages. But Luke has a lot of followers, Jesus has a lot of followers following him. And he empowers them and says, go in a ministry of the gospel and of the good news and of healing and of mercy. And he sends them with these words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go send out workers in the harvest. Go. He says that to us. And then he says a few verses later, when you enter a house, first see, say, peace to this house. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And they come back and they experience victory. It's the same victory that Jesus guarantees for you and I. They experience victory because they see people healed. They see demons cast out. They see brokenness being undone in the very moment. And you see, this is how God works. It is through the complexity of both healing and endurance and perseverance through all circumstances. They see it personally and they see it in the lives that they are called to serve. That is the good news. That is the good news that I'm inviting you to take into every other life. That when you read a passage like Land Allotments and you see people who are being blessed, it's because they're, be giving, given, they're being given a gift. To take into their life all these things and they're saying, God is claiming all of this and I want all of this to serve him. I want to truly experience the good news. So I will serve him. Nothing will go unclaimed in my life. Whether it is the, all the facets of my marriage and however complex that is. Whether it's how we, we talk with, about Jesus with our children. Or talk about lots of other complex things with our children. How I hand, handle nat, challenging things in the workplace. Or how I am relating to church and a community here. That I want to be invested in a life of people that actually know me. And I actually know other people. You might be the biggest introvert in this room. But I really believe that God has us together for a reason. To be members of one another and to draw us into a types of relationships that describe his kingdom. And that is why we're called to be the church. And it's not bound by what can only take place in a building. But we are committed to doing that together here at Bethel. I would like to invite the band to come up as we think about how to respond to this. But when you hear me say the good news, I hope you hear as Jesus sent out those 72 disciples to be people who bring peace with them. The gospel is the message that we take into our life that God reigns. That Jesus came as a human to suffer alongside of us, to bear our sins and to die for them. That he rose again, that he might have, we might have new life with him. The good news is that God has sent us out, empowered by his spirit, to live and find our being in communion with God. And there is a verse here that I just think is so helpful in 1 John 5 about overcoming in light of God's love. 1 John 5, as I scramble here a little bit. Maybe I just won't rush myself. I'll just actually find it when I want to. Here we go. 1 John 5, starting from verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only the one who believes. As I mentioned, this passage shifts where people have been watching victory happen. But what does it look like to seek victory in your life? To make decisions not around feeling incredibly limited or overwhelmed by the circumstances of the world, but to make decisions in your life and your family and marriage around the victory of Jesus. That he has set you free not because there's not challenges, but because there are challenges. And we don't have to do it in fear that God is not with us, but we can do that because he knows he is with us. What I would ask you to reflect on this week in light of this message is how has God provided for you? What is God's inheritance for you? What is the inheritance you experience as being a follower of Jesus? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, what does it look like? Why would I say that following Jesus is the best thing you could possibly do? That's a good question to ask. The other question I would ask 
is what parts of your life are not conquered or claimed for God? Do you have a segmented life? And our worship and reflection this morning is maybe just a signal, maybe there's a better way. I would invite you to consider that. As Paul says in Romans, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. May love lead you towards healing and transformative change. Please pray with me. God, I just pray that your good news would find its way through this broken person (laughs) and through reading scripture and all of its complexity. I, I pray, Lord, we would hear that you have given us good gifts. The greatest gift of all is your son that's led us out of darkness into light. And Lord, for us to be people of peace, we really cannot do this apart from you. We can't actually keep holding on to parts of a life that are not what you want us to hold on to. So Lord, help us in your great mercy to let go. Let us do the work of healing and peace with each other and for anyone else you put in front of us because you are the God who saves, you are the God who rescues, you are the God who gives refuge. Help us to feel that personally, but also to be people who offer it to others freely. Help us to respond always, each and every day, in light of your love. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray.